You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. This is one of your hosts, Susan Simmons. I'm back in studio because I can't let Tom go two weeks without adult supervision. That's for sure. Yeah. So Tom is here, and we even have Joel, our producers in studio today. He's oh, yeah. just a couple. I had a cl- yes, I cleared out my schedule just for this one right here. I, 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 knew, I knew you would. I, I knew that's what you were doing. Pull a no-show on another one, but that's okay. <laughs> this one, he's going to be here, absolutely, even with it raining here. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, life's going on. I've started chemotherapy now. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Exactly. <laughs> it's been quite an adventure already, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of stories on that one. Oh, yeah. More to come so on that. stay tuned. Yeah, we may do a whole <laughs> podcast of nothing but chemotherapy and the fun of that. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> I tend to take things that nobody else seems to enjoy mm. and kind of get a good story out exactly. of it. So that's what I'm expecting. All that's right. what I'm anticipating. But anyway. Um Today is huge for me because our guest is someone that I feel like I know him. And what's funny is the video, I have shown it so many times. I literally (laughs) am saying the words with him in my head. I I know every line. My children know movies. I know Charlie Plum's video. (laughs) And and, and damn proud to say it. But today we have uh, our guest is someone that is should be known to everybody in military and law enforcement first right. responders and if if they're not then it's because they hadn't been in my training exactly and that means they need to be in in my training and and hear everything this man has to say but uh charlie plum we cannot thank you enough for taking time to be on here with us today uh, susan i'm i'm honored and flattered that you would uh, tell my story and that you would want me on your podcast so <laughs> glad to be here be careful we may have you every week <laughs> um, yeah you know we want you to kind of kind of take this just like we did with lieutenant colonel grossman we want you to tell people what you want them to know about you and uh, and what parts of your story you want to share keeping in mind i'm a mother of a marine um I never know what to say about it. he's out, but you don't say X. So I guess is it former Marine? He well, served his time. Yeah. Well, you know the Marines they say once a Marine always right. A Marine, but so. I don't want people to think he's still in. But he did his his tour in the desert. Almost killed his mother. But anyway, I wanted to go with him, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I think that could have been a real real good resource myself. But anyway. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a son-in-law in the Marine. Nice. Uh, he's he's still active duty. He's down at Pendleton, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we, we get along really well. But we, uh, you know, we, we we fight a lot about the Marine Navy, and uh, uh, <laughs> you were Uber for him, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, he tells me that the Marine Corps is just a department of the Navy. The men's department. <laughs> the men's oh, that's department. great. Oh, that's, yeah. Okay, I got to call my child. Oh, <laughs> uh, I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, that's a new one. I'll share that with my Marine as soon as we get off here. <laughs> yeah, so tell us your background. I, of course, I can almost okay, sure. recite it. Um, but but let, let me throw this a little bit back to you. Is that I'll, I'll tell uh, you know your audiences pretty much who I am and what I do, but I'd like to know what it is about my my videotape that you've used so many times that uh, that has been meaningful to you and to your audiences, because, um, it, so, you know, sometimes I, I say things and, and I don't know what it is that I say that really impacts people. Sure. So uh, I'm a farm kid from Kansas, pretty much that's my roots. Um, uh, I'd never been out of the four states of Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri until I was 17. Uh, needed a scholarship, got uh, appointed to the Naval Academy, uh, went out there for four years with an engineering degree and a commission in the Navy. Went to flight training for 18 months um, uh, and was assigned uh, the hottest airplane in the world at the time, the F-4 Phantom Jet. 
Mach 2.2 airplane, wow. high altitude supersonic interceptor. Uh, went out to San Diego with my new wife, um, helped start the Top Gun School in San Diego. Uh, what uh, we deployed on the Kitty Hawk for uh, about, mm, I guess, eight months. Um, in fact, it was five days from the end of my tour. I'd flown 74 successful combat missions in Vietnam. Uh, on my 75th, uh, hit by a surface-to-air missile, uh, blown out of the sky. My co-pilot actually radar intercept officer in the back seat, and I parachuted uh, into the rice paddies. Uh, we were captured immediately, hauled into the prison camp, tortured for two days, uh, put into a little eight-foot-by-eight-foot prison cell. And that was going to be my life for the next 2,103 days. Huh. Uh, God. That's <laughs> enough. Just put me in there and leave me. I, no, I'm done in about four days. <laughs> uh, so um, learned a lot in that little eight-foot by eight-foot classroom uh, and um, uh, came home uh, to a divorce. My, my, uh, my wife filed for divorce just three months before I came home oh. and she was engaged to another guy. Uh, so, you know, another little, uh, ball buster, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it, but it worked out well. It did. As a matter of fact, it did. I have a wonderful wife. We have four kids, four grandkids and, uh, live a very, a very happy life. That's awesome. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I wrote a book, that book that you just read, Tom and your wife. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, and, um, started to promote that book. Um, and, uh, people wanted to know more of the story. So I started speaking mm -hmm. and <laughs> have made a career of, uh, speaking publicly. I've spoken over 5,000 times, every state, 24 yeah. foreign countries. Um, and, uh, you know, been on, uh, a lot, lots of media programs and, uh, interviewed by a lot of really interesting people. Been you haven't a changed a bit. You have not changed one. I'd have known you. I'd have known you walking down the street. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, overall, I, um, I've made a lot of friends mm -hmm. and uh, around the world. Uh, the I, I think the the essence, the crutch, the the, the 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 of my story, and what I really uh, uh, hope to delve into with you and your audience is. The aftermath of an experience like um, nearly six years in a communist prison camp, because the psychiatrists and psychologists were convinced that we would have so much PTSD. Uh, in fact, they had our families briefed to institutionalize us the rest of our lives. Uh, we it. They, they thought we'd be in baskets. They thought we'd be vegetables. Um, and uh, so uh, we we. We, we turned out pretty well. 591 men came home from the prison camps in Vietnam in 1973. And rather than going to a funny farm, um, we, <laughs> we, re, we, we reestablished our, our goals and our positions. And from 591 men, we produced 17 generals, seven admirals. Most of us retired as senior grade military officers. I'm a retired 06 wow. uh, Navy captain. Uh, and uh, we have CEOs, preachers, teachers, bishops, judges, a bunch of congressmen, two United States senators, um, two ambassadors from our number, a governor, a vice presidential candidate, um, and a presidential candidate, my old flight instructor, John McCain. Mm -hmm. uh, we can tell stories about him. <laughs> we uh, can, too, here in Arizona. <laughs> well, in Arizona, I guess you probably know him as well as I do. Uh, Who was the senator from Alabama? Because you mentioned that, and I, I lived in, I'm sure you can't tell by my accent, but um, yeah. who was the senator from Alabama? Uh, Jeremiah Denton. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if it was Shelby or somebody else, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Denton was a uh, senator from um Mobile, I think he was from Mobile. Sounds right. Uh, so uh, a study was done um, six or eight years ago of all of the combatants of Vietnam. 30.6% have PTSD. I know you don't like PTSD, but anyway, they had post-traumatic stress. Yes. Um, and uh, nearly a third of the prisoners of war, 4% mm -hmm. of the POWs 
have uh, PTSD. That's amazing. In, yep. in fact, we're sort of the poster boys. Are you guys familiar with Boulder Crest? Oh, it looks like I, Boulder I want, Crest. I want to say I have heard of that. I have. Okay, you you need to. I'll I'll uh, I'll introduce you to Boulder Crest. Great. Uh, I was there just two weeks ago. It's uh, a little encampment. Um, actually, it's a ranch. It's a very, very, very nice ranch outside of Tucson, um, where a couple of um, of psychologists um, twenty five years ago uh, came up with uh, what they call P P T G post traumatic growth. Yeah. And, and you're in the business of that. Uh, the whole idea that you can come through trauma and actually come out better off because of the trauma. Absolutely. Well, I'm sort of the poster boy for Boulder Crest and PTG. Nice. Uh, because uh, I and the other POWs came back healthier mentally and physically than if we hadn't been shot down, captured and tortured and gone through that, that experience. Sure. So, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, 2023 is the 50th uh, anniversary of our repatriation. We came home in 1973, so it's 50 years uh, coming up, and uh, we've got all kinds of celebrations that are going on. And uh, so you'll you'll nice. probably see us in the media for that. Good. But, but point is, uh, and uh, you know, I'm taking a, a page from uh, from your book uh, that. Uh, you know, you can work through these things that uh, that you you can actually be better off because of that terrible experience as a as a first responder, as a cop, as a as a military guy. Yes. Uh, and 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 so and this outfit outside of Tucson, matter of fact, they work a lot with the Tucson Police Department. So um, okay. they. they um, uh, and and they've got uh, they've got a program there. Uh, it was actually started in Virginia, and uh, but then this this is their second uh, encampment, and they take um, pr primarily veterans, but they've exp expanding now to first responders into this camp, uh, and uh, and you know pretty much show them that hey yeah okay so you've been through some tough times uh, you're not the only one. <laughs> I like and, them already. <laughs> No, you, you you would fit in really well with this this group, awesome. uh, and they they've had some great successes. How long is so, their program? Um, I'm sorry. How long is their program? Is it usually uh, they a have thirty? A couple of different uh, uh, programs. Uh, they the the veterans go there for a week, and 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 usually with their families. Good. Uh, and uh, because they need that family support as well, mm -hmm. and then I think it's every. Every two or three months, they tap back into, and then they come back in six months. Um, so, and I, I, I don't know all of the ins and outs because there are two or three different tracks okay. um, that they have. But they, you know, they work with horses on this ranch outside of Tucson. Perfect. Um, and of course, they, you know, they had their counselors, but. Uh, one of the one of the uh, and I've been on their uh, advisory board for I guess as eight or ten years maybe, mm -hmm. um, and one of the problems that I see with them is same challenge that you have is that you guys do so much good stuff, but um, how, how you know how do we multiply this because you can only <laughs> right. you can only talk to a veteran or a first responder uh, an hour at a time and. Um, and Boulder Crest has had the same kind of challenge is that they've got stuff that works mm -hmm. and um, and it's just kind of a matter of uh, how do you how you how you expand this, how you leverage this into something that's wide. Sure. Right. And of course, you know, they've talked to the VA and I'm sure you have, too. <laughs> tried. <too>. Tried. <laughs> Not much luck. Well, let me tell you my story. Um I uh, I've spoken to a lot of VA hospitals and uh, and this has been probably 20 years ago when uh, they called me up and said you know we got this this suicide problem that's developing in veterans and we uh, and we're setting up um, you know a team uh, to talk about uh, suicide in veterans would you be interested in being a part of the team I said sure I would you know you know anything I can do to help my fellow veterans sure so they said well we'll, we'll send you some information on it. They sent me 
as I recall, a 17 page questionnaire. And the first one was, what's my PhD in? <laughs> Did you say Vietnam? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I wasn't qualified, you know, that's to, crazy. Uh, to their program. But, uh, but that's oh, we're going to draft you. Oh, you're going to be a stress coach at Under the Shields, my friend. We don't want you if you got a PhD. <laughs> that's kind of the way I felt. <laughs> anyway, I'm talking too much. What uh, uh, you know? First of all, if there's anything that you know, or if there's anything about that tape that you've uh, shown so many times that doesn't make sense, or if I offended anybody by it. (laughs) Fat chance. No. No. You know, I'm curious. I have to ask you this because I have my own theory on this. I dated a naval aviator for a while who's retired as a captain from American, but um, and we talked about this. Why do you think the POWs were healthier than the guys that didn't get shot down? Uh, well, I have several theories. Of my own. <laughs> First of all, I told you the 4% mm-hmm. uh, POWs that do have the PTSD, primarily the guys shot down near the end of the war and were not tortured and, 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 and uh, were treated pretty well, as a matter of fact, because they, you know, they were only there for a few weeks or a month or two, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that came out with the challenges. And, uh, and I see that in the veteran population as well, um, you know, certainly, and maybe you do too. Uh, in law enforcement, um, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's the guys that, um, you know, they're suffering from, um, um, Uh from from seeing somebody else. So, you know, this, uh, I've forgotten the the term for it now. When when vicarious trauma. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so, so my theory is this. Uh, in order to change your mind about anything, you have to be uh, uh, you have to have a certain amount of pain over a certain amount of time, and uh, and so I think that the guys who were there the longest, who seem to have come back the healthiest, are the guys that just had the time to process um, their you know process the the technique for uh, finding good news and bad news. Uh-huh. So, um, and I, you know, like I, I, I don't have the PhD, but but I've watched this happen, you know, with the guys. And the new guys who, who would come in who, who wouldn't or couldn't communicate with the rest of us, the guys that kept it all bottled up uh-huh. uh, were the guys that had the most problems. And it's the same way, you know, I think in life itself is if you don't seek help, um, you, you, you can't you can't go it alone. You can't, you can't solve these problems, of, you know, sitting in a cave. Sure. So the one of the, one of the things that, you know, first of all, we had great leadership in the prison camps. It was just unbelievable. The I mean, you know, feature this as a leader. You can't you can't talk to your people. You can't see your people. You can't fire them. You can't hire them. You can't give them a bonus. The only way that you can even communicate with them is tapping on a wall in a code, in a very cumbersome uh, code. I wish we could do that with some of our law enforcement agencies right now. I wish the chief could only communicate by tapping on a wall. <laughs> I'm going to put that in to the next conference. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, when I when I do uh, seminars for uh, leadership groups, that uh, that's the first thing I say to them. And and you know, I pull out my my whiteboard or my flip chart and say, okay, y- your boss just gave you this mission. You're going to be on a desert island with 200 people. You can't see. You can't fire. You can't hire. You you can't uh, talk to. You can't email. You can't text these folks. Uh, <laughs> what what qualities of leadership do you have within you you would pull out and apply to a problem like this great question <laughs> it really well it really it really brings some interesting uh, uh, thoughts because sure. most you know most people in authority leaders or managers and of course there's a big difference yes um, use the old carrot and stick you know they're gonna they got to either beat people into submission or, or, or they're gonna sweet talk them into doing what right. they want to do yeah. And when you when you don't have a carrot and a stick, um, what do you use? Because 
the real good leaders don't need carrots or sticks. You know, they uh, need their people. So, so I look to the leadership that we had there, the Stockdales, the Jeremiah Dentons, the John McCain's, um, the, the, the people, the guys who, who uh, put the teams together, because I mean, that's the big deal too, is that we had, we had a team there that was so tight, so resilient that uh, when, with most of the guys uh, were offered uh, to go home uh, uh, before the end of the war, mm-hmm. uh, because that was that was kind of an option. You know, they would come in and say, hey, you know, you can go home before the end of the war. And all you have to do is sign this confession, and uh, <laughs> and, and and nearly to a man, we say, hell no, we're not going to leave our team. Right. Um, and uh, and and so a lot of us could have come home a lot earlier, <laughs> sure. uh, but we didn't because of the cohesiveness of that team. Uh, and you know, I mean, the same thing in life and in first responders, and you know, you, you have to believe in the team. The ones that did come home that you talk about in the video were they yep. some of the ones that were last in, so to speak, that hadn't been there very long, or were some of them people who'd been there a long time? Both. Okay. Um, there were a total of twelve guys that came home before the end of the war. Uh, there was only one of those guys. Uh, who actually had permission? Yeah, and that was a Navy sailor. <laughs> Most of us were fighter pilots, and um, so who shows yeah. up? Uh, but a Navy sailor. <clears throat> Excuse me. How do you get there? <clears throat> Fell off his ship. <laughs> that's a good part of that story. That's, that's such a great one. Yes, <laughs> he, he he would tell us, "I wasn't captured like you pilots. I was rescued." <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he was, but he showed us all a thing about leadership and continuity. Yep. Um, he started memorizing names. That's and he memorized the names of everyone in, in, the, in the, that particular camp with 254 guys, as I recall. And he knew all of our names and uh, next of kin, phone numbers. Uh, and so um, he was given a direct order to, to accept early release. And he didn't want to go. Wow. And I want to stay here with you guys and be a part of the, <laughs> of the homecoming. Um, <clears throat> but he came home and uh, rather than, uh, you know, take his back pay and go on a vacation, he crisscrossed the country, west to east, north to south, and went through each one of the hometowns he'd memorized and dialed each one of the telephone numbers he'd memorized and told each one of the wives he'd memorized that their prisoner was alive. Wow. And, uh, that's amazing. It is. And, you know, but here's the sad part of the facts here, that when you talk about he was kind of a Radar O'Reilly kind of a kid, yep. these people don't have a clue who Radar <laughs> O'Reilly is, and we got to tell them who he is. You know, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Maybe I better change that. Oh, no. Oh, no. We have fun telling that oh, part yeah. of the story. No. Don't change it at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was. He was just, you know, a farm kid from South Dakota. Uh-huh. And uh, that's kind of who he was. Uh, but boy, did he show us all a thing or two. We had these reunions, the POWs. In fact, next next year, our 50th anniversary, uh, we'll be going to the Nixon Library in the Yorba Linda, California, where uh, in this 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 library has a, has a um, a great dining room that's a replica of the dining room in the White House. Uh-huh. And uh, so we all, uh, you know, we all eat there. They, they're going to prepare the same meal that they prepared for us when we came home. Wow. <laughs> how, many are, how many are still living and able to attend? Of the, of the 591, we had probably 350 guys that are still alive. Wow, that's great. Most nice. of them are older than I. I just turned 80. And uh, most you, of them are older than I. And so we, uh, you know, we, we get a death notice. And, and I've been <laughs> to Arlington probably, I guess, five times burying my buddies out there so wow uh, but yeah uh, we have 350 uh, uh still alive and we'll probably have 300 of those that'll be at this uh at this uh, wow. uh at this reunion but so we all march in and the admirals march in and the generals march in and you know all these guys and a st- guy that <laughs> guy that Gets the standing ovation as the Navy sailor. <laughs> you yeah. know, and I taught in um, I taught for the FOP in North Dakota, South Dakota, and actually had some 
officers that had him as a teacher. Really? Yes, yeah. and talked he about yeah, he came, what he an amazing back, guy was. Yeah, he came back and, and, and taught survival school for a, for a long time. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, yeah Doug Hagdell. Yep. You know, one of our one of our favorites. I, I really like in the video that we play of you, uh, where you tell your um, high fast and low uh, slow and low slow competition that you had, <laughs> and poor old Doug. Yeah, they don't see it coming either, and and then they have to think about it, and they're like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> uh, that's so great. <laughs> But, you yeah, know, uh, your whole concept of who's packing your parachute, that's the first thing that really resonates because that's really yeah. the concept of what we operate off of it under the shield. That That's a big part of it. Because, you know, in these academies of first responders, they're still teaching the old principle, keep personal and professional separate. And I'm like, that this ain't working, guys. <laughs> it, it, this is a problem. And I think hearing you talk about the importance of that and that you also tie in that, you know, you don't have to be a prisoner of war. There are other things that happen that can be just as traumatic for you. But talking about the fact that y'all came back healthier, because I just had a client here who's been in three fatals and a less lethal that he actually got in more trouble for the less lethal, which is kind of weird. But um, And he was talking about he'd been at a conference where people got up at a tactical conference and talked about their PTSD and they, it's almost like they start to buy into it. Yeah. I have that. So that's a real badass up there. So it must really impact me, but you completely dispel that. Well, I hope so. Uh, PTSD is a real thing, you know, and, and, and I don't deny that, but I think it is kind of a trap that we fall into sometimes because it, it, it's one of these, it's one of these uh, illnesses, if you will, or issues uh, or syndromes that you will, that you, that that's tough to analyze and tough to define. Mm-hmm. If you've got a broken arm, it's pretty obvious. Sure. But if you've got, you got PTSD. Um, and so, uh, and I, I think you're right. I think uh, sometimes folks talk themselves into this scenario um, and, and um, because they, They've seen it so much, and they listen to other people talk about it, and so they say, well, I must have it, too. And they become a victim to right. it, and and that's one of the things we tell them. We, we don't do victims here. You know, uh, funny story, I was teaching for Border Patrol years ago and had a military guy come up and ha- kind of want to give me a hard time about it. I said it wasn't a disorder, meaning permanent. I think it's an injury, and unless there's physiological traumatic brain injury, and Anyway, I said, are you military? And he said, yeah. And I said, um, so you're out now? And he goes, yeah, I was special forces. Okay. And I said, you applied with Border Patrol? And he goes, yeah. And I said, they hired you? He goes, yeah. I said, you went to an academy? Yeah. You graduated? Yeah. They gave you a gun? Yeah. Is that your wife with you? Yeah. 20-something-year marriage? Good marriage? Yeah. I said, where's your disorder? And he looked at me and he went, touche. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, I understand it from a military standpoint, the disability ratings, uh, uh, that's all good and wonderful. We owe our veterans way more than what we give them. But I don't want them to be a victim to it. I don't want to hear them say things like we've heard of, it's nice to know I'm not the only one who will never be any better than I am today. We can all be better than we are today. Yeah. Well, um, I I think one of the big challenges of our, our whole society is victimhood. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we see that racially. You know, we see that economically. Uh, if you can claim victimhood, somehow that gives you a lever. Yes. Uh, and 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 our government promotes that. You yes. know, we give away free stuff <laughs> to people who who call themselves victims. Right. And um, yeah, and and so yeah, I I totally agree. You see the the same kinds of things. I want to run my theory by you though. Why I think. The POWs were healthier. And again, having dated a naval aviator, he, he and I had this conversation. And um, I can't help but wonder if it's because of the training and preparation you had going in to it, somewhat knowing what would happen if you did get shot down. Because he was telling me in his training that he was waterboarded as part of training. And yet the ones that didn't get shot down, what they came home to, nobody prepared them to come home and be called baby killers and spit on. 
And so the country that they went over there and fought for turns on them Mm -hmm. rather than so much of what they saw and did. Not that that didn't impact them, but that that's the difference. Y'all had some level of training and preparation and expectation of what it was going to be like. Well, um, I, I think I would agree with that to a point. Uh, I, w- I went through uh, four different series schools, SERE, mm-hmm. Survival Escape, Resistance Evasion. And they taught me how to, you know, get water out of vines and eat bugs and stuff like that. <laughs> sure. and, and, of course, part of that was the escape part and evasion part was that they turned you loose and they chased you around uh, the woods for uh, for a while and finally captured you. And yeah, they'd put you in a box and, and uh, waterboarded and threatened and beat you up, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I suspect that part of that was um, beneficial. But the difference was going through all that training, you always knew that Saturday morning you'd be back at home with uh, you know, brownies <laughs> and cookies. Sure. And uh, the difference in the POW situation was you just never knew how long it was going to take. Now, I always, I always was confident I was going to come home. I just never knew when it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and the other part of it was the, well, <laughs> one of my buddies uh, puts it this way. He says, you know, uh, practicing being a prisoner of war is like practicing bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long? How long are you gonna let that go on? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a point you gotta stop it. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Uh, so I, I, I guess I credit. Um, the, the, the training was good. You know, the Naval Academy was good, but I think probably more important was what I learned back in Kansas. You know hoeing corn and, and slopping pigs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> learning, you know, some of the values of life, some of the sure. values of a, a, of a, a working ethic and not quitting and don't stop. And sure. my, you know, my, my, my dad's motto was plums never quit. And, um, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and he didn't, he was, you know, he was a world war two guy, the greater generation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 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 depression, you know, and so he he knew what it was to not quit, and so I I think that part, you know, personally was more important uh, really than the training that I got. Well, and I like the part where you talked too about, you know, you had the ability to curl up in the corner and atrophy and die. You watched men do it, and yeah. I think yeah. that concept of what you're talking mm-hmm. about. You know, that's a huge part of what I'm using with regards to my diagnosis of having breast cancer. You know, I've I've watched people get hear that and they're dead short time after and there's really no reason for it. Me yeah. the Phoenix officers here feel sorry for the cancer. <laughs> they said it doesn't know who it's invaded. <laughs> and so I, I think a lot of it is mindset. And oh, yeah. that is a, a huge part of what you also talk about when they they hear it from me and they're like yeah yeah whatever they hear it from you and you talk about you watched it happen and you chose not to right i I think that is so impactful for our Mm -hmm. for our first responders well you know it's it you know i i don't know if i said this in your video because i came up with this later but i talk about this eight inch box um and i talk about the difference in um the eight foot box that i was in in the prison cell uh, and the eight inch box was the eight inch box is more restrictive, mm-hmm. you know, that your mental attitude is really more restrictive than those walls of stone and steel that I was behind. And the beauty of that, of course, is you can change that. You, know, you, you, yeah. you can change your mental attitude. Sure. No, I like that. No, you didn't talk about that in this right. one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And again, it's a choice. Just like you talked about when you said that I loved it when you talked about the psychologist and psychiatrist telling you you had the right to be angry and you compared that to <laughs> diarrhea. I, I agree 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah, you know, you could give this speech, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you need somebody to fill in, I'm no, your you girl. I'm your you girl. Can I, I can, you can I can that. recite this thing. <laughs> yeah. Here's Charlie's well, he, story. 
With your chemo and radiation, they'll take all your hair. You look like a POW. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, I'm excited about wigs. I am a, I am pumped up, ready to go. <laughs> that was one of the highlights of this diagnosis. <laughs> she took she, she went wig shopping, and she took two big, real big Phoenix police guys with her, and they modeled the wigs for her. <laughs> it's all over Facebook. You need to watch it. One's in a green wig. They've got gray beards and hair on. It's priceless. I said, if, if it looked good on them, it's bound to look good on me. <laughs> for sure. And I think your, your talk about when you came home also, again, yeah, you could have wallowed in it and, yeah. you know, the wife divorcing you and all of those kinds of things. But, you know, you were like, hey, I, I have an option number two. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, yeah. it's just reiterating. And when, you know, when you're looking at the conditions and things you lived under for six years, like I said, I don't think I'd last two days. And then these guys are, you know, able to see their own situations and they go, wow, this guy, I mean, what a role model that you could come through all of that, still get slammed when you get home with the divorce and all of those other things, but your attitude and your humor in it, because cops are going to use humor <laughs> for everything. If, yep. Yeah, if they're not yep. joking on me, I'm in trouble. Something's wrong. <laughs> and, and I think you're just reiterating the importance of those things. Well, I suspect that you would have done fine in the prison camps. <laughs> they probably would have paid the United States to take me back, to be honest no, with you. Yeah, they would have kicked you out. <laughs> like, You're yeah. too happy here. This, so. this one's not, she's not going to work out. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> you know, in your book, um, at the very end of it, when you're talking about coming home and stuff, and you're on the plane coming home, and you stop at different places, and you're watching these guys get off the plane and go to their families, their wives and stuff, and then you get to the very last one where it's just you and I don't remember his name, but it was just you and one other guy, and he walks off the plane, and he gets to go to his wife, and then you're like, oh, man, I'm not going to – I don't I don't get the same thing. You already knew – what that homecoming was going to be like. Wow. I mean, that, that had to have been a tough position to be in. Um, but I really liked that you, you really credited your mom and dad for how much they endured and supported you. I think um, the unsung heroes sometimes of the military are the mothers. Yeah. Um, Amen. As you well know, Susan, it's not easy. No. Uh, and my my mother had a beautiful head of, of black hair when I left the States. And seven years later, when I came home, it was totally gray. Mm. And she and she um, and I for the rest of her life, she died a few years ago. And probably every time I saw her, I apologized for that decision I made at age 17 <laughs> that would that would cause her so much pain. Mm -hmm. And every time she would say, don't say that, you know, I would, wouldn't have wanted any other way. I would never have tried to talk you out of, of uh, being in the military and serving your country. So, uh, you know, yes, it was difficult, but oh, by the way, there's, there's nothing I would ever uh, have wanted you to do differently. Sure. I, I can see that. Yeah. I, you know, I, was, yeah. I, I tell the story of being in an airport when Marshall was in the desert and there was a colonel in the army there and, I looked at him and I said, sir, we're not using our best resource. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, you need to deploy the Marine mom with the Marine. You let somebody come near my child with a sheet wrapped around their head. I'm taking out civilizations and I'm not bound by your Geneva Convention or rules of engagement. And he started laughing and you could almost seem kind of thinking about it. And he goes, you know, y'all are special people. He said, that may not be such a bad plan. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> no, I can see where your mom's coming from. I, I there is such a pride uh, yeah. in, in that, even during the hard times, yeah. even during deployments. It's it is tough. I, I I don't. I think I probably would have been trying to get to Vietnam if my child were in there. But um, I, I I can see why she would say exactly what she did, and I'm sure she meant it all the way through her core. Absolutely, she did. <clears throat> no question. Well, you know, the wives back here started this movement called uh, Viva, Voices in Vital America, because they didn't think that uh, our government was doing enough to get us out of there. And um, they started selling bracelets, little silver bracelets, mm -hmm. that 
that uh, uh, people would buy for five bucks and, and wear. And the idea was uh, the bracelets had our names on them. There I were, had one. What, mm-hmm. 10 or 15,000. Oh, did you have a bracelet? I had one, mm-hmm. at, yes. Wish I, I wish I knew where it was. I might have to start looking for it now. I'd forgotten about it, to be honest with you. Might have my name on it. <laughs> you know what? It might have, Charlie. We, we may have been kindred spirits all the way back to that, yes. Well, I got I got a number of interesting stories about those bracelets. In fact, it was um, I was doing a, 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 an, an interview shortly after I came home, and uh, so I had you know a hundred photographers and reporters around, and and uh, from the very back of the room, this red-haired gal just in a screaming voice said, "Charlie Plum, I've been sleeping with you for the last two years." <laughs> I would have done that if, if I were old enough. I would have done that. <laughs> yeah, I got that bracelet. I think I was in about the sixth grade because I finished high school in '77, mm-hmm. so that would have put me about the sixth grade, or maybe a little bit younger. But yeah, I had it wore it for a very long time. I, like I said, I'm gonna have to go look for it now. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you if your name's on it. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Or, or let me know because if you know if, if if it's a guy that I know, I'm sure he'd be happy to um, absolutely you know, to talk to you about it or meet you. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it was a gal, and, and this guy was telling me about his his daughter in Albuquerque, and she was uh, seven or eight years old, and and wore this bracelet, and and it started to wear uh, a sore on her arm, uh, an open sore, and so she would move it up and down the arm, and and finally uh, it got so bad she moved it to her other wrist, and it started wearing sores on there, and her father gave her a lot of static. Take that silly thing off. That guy's never coming home anyway. And she said, "No, I can't take it off until he comes home." So she's so she's sitting there watching TV one night, and and it finally the whole thing just boiled over because she was having open wounds on her other wrist, and he reaches down and he grabs the bracelet and it breaks in two. And at that moment, I step off the airplane. And Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. Wow. <laughs> wow. And you're going, why didn't he break that thing like three years right. ago? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sooner. Wow. That's oh, but, amazing. But, uh, point, point is, uh, the wives were back here, and, and it really it made a big difference. We didn't know why, but our treatment started to improve in late 1969 and <clears throat> or early 70s. And that was when this movement got started. And... The Vietnamese recognized that we were you know, we were important people because our wives were back there making a big stink. Hmm. Uh, Kissinger hated hated that the whole movement because huh. it was sort of taking you know the international policy out of his hands and into the hands of these crazy ladies. <laughs> because that, it needed to be done, right? Yeah, yep. It was important. Sure. Wow. Yeah, that's. It was. Uh, yeah, like I said, now my brain is racing as to where that bracelet is, but I think I might even know where it is. I'm going to have to go dig it out and see. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to plug your book because we haven't told the title of your book, but it's called I'm No Hero. Um, I was When I was reading it, I, I, I guess it was just me first thinking that it was probably going to go in chronological order, and it was far from that. And right. at first I was like, I wonder why he's doing this, but... The way it came together at the end, I mean, it was it was a great book, and I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, you know, I I wrote that book and thought that the story would have a shelf life. You know, I thought that. Uh, <clears throat> see, I wrote that book in 1973 when it came home. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I don't know what uh, what uh, issue yours is, but I think it's in the 34th or 35th plane. Wow. It's so uh, it's been around. Has it changed uh, much at all, though? Did you have wrote, an opportunity to change it? Uh, I wrote a, a sort of a forward to it after uh, I met the guy that packed my parachute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, That's a great That's story, a great story. <laughs> too. That is a great story. Uh, and uh, and so I, I put that in a forward uh, in, in the book, and so I rewrote it. Um, <clears throat> But um, I, I uh, you know, if, if folks are interested, my website's charlieplum.com, and I autograph every every book uh, that goes out of my. Awesome. Goes, 
here. Yeah, we'll so. make sure that gets plugged in the written description of the podcast also. I am ordering well, one as we speak. He's, <laughs> Joel, our producer, is ordering it now. Order two because I don't have a signed one. I want to sign I was going to say, I'm, now I'm going to have to buy another one so I can get one that's signed. <laughs> order, order it from my website uh, and, you know, and I'll, I'll autograph it. Uh, Great. Have All you right. written any other books? Uh, yes, I wrote another one uh, called The Last Domino, and it was after we we came out of Vietnam, and uh, and the idea was the last domino to fall. Mm. The theory of dominoes, I've forgotten who that was, Eisenhower or somebody. Uh, the fact that a communist country knocks down one domino and the other, and the other, and the other. And uh, so I wrote this book, The Last Domino, and it, and I still have a garage full of those. <laughs> Is that on your website also? No. Oh. <laughs> Need to put those things on your website. <laughs> well, I probably should to get rid of them, but I, I was never really proud of that book. Uh, the the uh, the publisher told me I had to write it in a month because while while uh, the end of the of the Vietnam War was still really fresh in people's mind, mm-hmm. and I didn't take it, the time to write the book that I did. Uh, I'm no hero. So, was that therapeutic for you too in writing that book? I'm no hero. So is my speaking. You know, yes. yeah. um, I really, you know, when I talk to veterans that don't tell their story, and there are a lot of guys now, but I think especially in World War II and Korea, they would come back and just not bottle talk. it up and mm-hmm. not tell it at all. Yep. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to their sons and daughters, and and they say, "What can I do?" And I said, "Well." You know, I have this theory that the reason that veterans don't talk about their story is not necessarily that it was so terrible, but it's so difficult to get anybody else to understand. Sure. Because if you weren't there, you, mm-hmm. you can't really think, you know, there's, there's no way that 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 your dad can actually put you in that situation and make you understand. Right. So, you know, ask him, ask him about it or um or get some of his buddies talking about it because, you know, guys talk about their military experience with each other, mm-hmm. but we don't want to tell it to our families because nobody can really understand. Yeah. So, but no, I'm a big believer. And, and I know you are too yep. uh, in your therapy. Yes. Is that you got to talk, you got to, you got to tell the stories. And you know, one of the things I, that too, I want you to understand the audience to also hear us say this too. We don't confine our sessions to one hour. Um, I've had sessions run 18 hours before. Oh, brother. On average, first sessions are going to run three to four hours. And because, you know, it's kind of one of those things you don't want to get them on a roll and they go, oh, suck that back in and we'll talk about that next week because they may not come back. That's a very good point. It's it. You know, we let them do what we call I don't know if you listen to a podcast about the psychological garbage can. Yeah. But we we want them to empty it and keep talking as long as they need to. And. It's really funny because they'll come in and they'll spend four hours with me. And the next session, they'll go, I'm not going to be here four hours. And I go, hey, your choice. And the next thing you know, they're here six hours. And they're like, damn it, Susan. <laughs> I didn't lock you in the office. Jeez. Um, but, you know, Tom yeah. talks about the first time he met right. with me. It was just like people just sitting around talking. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way it ought to be. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, frequently at the end of my presentations, you know, I'll say something like, hey, I'm really – really honored that you've been here for the last 45 minutes or an hour. But I wonder if you've noticed that while I've been standing here talking to you, I've really been standing up here talking to myself. <laughs> this is my therapy. Yes. Yeah. Just telling the story yes. helps me put it all in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. All of our stress coaches have been on the couch mm-hmm. and now want to give back. And they yeah. they do what we call post-traumatic stress growth. They grow through their injury by sharing their story. And it's not always easy. It can mm-hmm. be very emotional, but it is very therapeutic yeah. in helping. Mm-hmm. They take the bad they went through and help somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really uplifting. You know, when you're for able everybody. To, when you're able that's to help close. somebody out, yeah. man, yeah. it's it's amazing. Yeah, because then you can in your brain you go, then it was worth what I went through, mm-hmm. because now I see the positive that can come from it. Right. Yeah, and and, and, I, and I feel that way personally. Yeah. You know, that um, you know I. I'm I'm a Christian, and my my grandfather always wanted a, a minister in the family, and none of us really felt called to the ministry. But 
but I, I, I think it's a certain calling yes. that I have, and and you two have it as well. Yeah, it's a ministry, it's, and what you're yeah, doing mm-hmm. is a ministry. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Are you still yeah. speaking? Oh, anyway. <laughs> anything uh, in Arizona coming up anytime in the next two years? I'll let you know. Uh, this Boulder Crest, I spoke down there. It was their fifth anniversary. That's been that was about three or four weeks ago. Yeah, I get to Arizona fairly frequently. So, yeah, I'd love uh, to have you in studio. Yeah. Even I'll let you know. Yeah, please do. We we got people who'd be lined up outside this building. I'm telling you, cops that would would right. want to come by and say hello to you, and we'd love to make that happen because okay. it it would be great for them also. And again, we would be honored to have you any time that. That you're anywhere close, we'll come pick you. Tom will come pick you up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we don't want Susan traveling with us. So. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I'm not on a real good track record right now for travel. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll let Tom then, handle that. <laughs> I did uh, about 80 virtuals in 2020, and and then another 75 in 21, and then as for whatever reason, this last fall, well, summer and fall. There was a lot of pent up energy uh, for having meetings. And so in in October, I spoke probably 15 times, probably 20 times in November. Wow. In the, in the first half of December, uh, I spoke probably seven times. So it's uh, one of them I saw you were actually out on a ship, but I don't know when that was. Well, I spoke uh, on a Navy ship. Uh huh. Um, that was, uh, yeah, that was probably about six or eight years ago. I was probably on the USS Stockdale. Okay. Um, they've named two ships after POWs, uh, and uh, uh, Jeremiah Denton and Jim Stockdale. Uh, and uh, and they're, they're, these are Navy destroyers. And so my wife and one of my sons and I uh, rode that ship from hmm. San Diego up to uh, Port Wainimi in Ventura, uh, California. And uh, for wow. two days. So that's I, I neat. So when we get the Charlie Plum destroyer, <laughs> we're we're coming. We get invited. We get included to to at least come okay. watch you yeah, break the champagne. Or something. Yeah, you, yeah, you can break the champagne. Because <laughs> I think we need one of those. I do too. I'll contact Congress. We'll see how much weight I have up there. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, don't hold your breath on it. But, but we think there should be one. So that that's what's important. But so let me ask. You this this question because sure. I think the biggest the, the, the biggest challenge in uh, in getting your message to people is to get them to call you yes. you know yeah. because so many veterans uh, and re- first responders feel like uh, hey I'm, I'm I'm tough I'm big I don't cry mm-hmm. you know uh, and I, I don't want to talk to anybody that's going to make me cry <laughs> that is a requirement <laughs> on my couch but anyway. <laughs> One way or another, you're going to get them to cry. <laughs> if they have to stay for 18 hours, yes. <laughs> they usually voluntarily cry early. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, but how, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you get these folks that really don't think they need help uh, to, to call your, your 855 number? Well, you know, I think a lot of it, too, is word mm-hmm. of mouth. The majority yeah. of what the business that we get is word of mouth. The guys basically saying, and gals, basically saying, you know, I, I go to Susan. She doesn't take notes. She doesn't keep records. There's total anonymity. You can come in and say you're your chief or sheriff or Joe Biden or whoever you want to say you are, and we don't question anything. And, you know, if we – I have challenged a few. Um, I had, I've had some wives say, you'll never get my husband in here. And I go, well, then tell him I said it's because he doesn't have the anatomy to come in here. <laughs> and, honey, they'll barge through that front door. <laughs> what do you mean? If, if I can get them in here, I can keep them because it's such a different environment than what they expect. Right. Because it's not the, oh, you know, how does that make you feel kind of stuff. It's the, hey, don't ask me my opinion if you don't want it because I'm going to give it to you. And, yeah. and I lived it 20 years being married to a federal agent in drug enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had our kids almost executed. I give them the whole background on me. There's no, you know, they'll make it up if I don't tell them, so I might as well tell them. Yeah. And, and then at that point, they're like, huh, okay, she might understand this. And I did a full SWAT school, Charlie, when I started this company. I was running, gunning, climbing, shooting, doing everything. Now, keep in mind, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. I did hostage negotiation training 
And really, I think through our training that we do, they get to know who we are. Right. And we have uh, Tom teaches with me, obviously. We have some other officers that have been in critical incidents that will come in and teach and talk about their experience mm-hmm. at Under the Shield. And so it's slow going. It, it doesn't, it, I wish it could be a lot faster. But some of them, too, have had bad experiences with the license world. And sure. so we really have to work hard to break that barrier. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's tough, but the doors are opening and we are getting stuff going now like we've never done in 30 years. But it well, is pretty funny, Charlie, though. You know, like a lot of guys or gals, when they want to, when they make that decision to actually come and sit down on the couch with Susan, they're very reluctant, you know, what <laughs> they want to say, and they don't want anybody else to know. And then after maybe the second visit, third visit, they're telling all their friends, hey, you need to go see, you're screwed up, you need to go see <laughs> Susan. And, you know, it's, it's that word of mouth right there is, you know, says that what, what Susan has developed works and we're available 24 7 there's none of this monday through i said their their hours aren't traditional why would mine or the stress coaches be you know Mm -hmm. that's just another burden on them to try to get in monday through friday nine to five it's not the way it works so we Mm -hmm. try to do everything the complete opposite we still work with the license world but Mm -hmm. in a little different capacity of where we need documentation for fmla that kind of stuff Sure. But we we really do try to accommodate their every need that they don't have an excuse not to come. Well, it's great what you're doing. And, um, you know, I wish we could clone you a few times. <laughs> oh, you really don't. <laughs> I, yeah, probably, I don't that's, you pushed it right yeah, there. <laughs> that's not a good idea, Charlie. There are people going, somebody tell that man to be quiet. <laughs> Go ahead, Joel. What do you have to say? Joel's dying to say something over here. <laughs> One is enough, Charlie. One is enough. <laughs> One's enough. One season is enough. I'm not going anywhere. Y'all going to be dealing with me for a long time to come. <laughs> and I'm serious about you going through the stress coach certification. It's a 40-hour cert. Man, we'll fly you in here, put you up. I, I would love, you'll wind up talking to the majority of the class. But right. I, what, a, what a huge asset you would be and anybody else you know. Because, again, the, the POWs, y'all are our, our seasoned trained, respected people who've done things that they're going to listen to. Yeah. that That's a huge part of this. Well, uh, it is. And, you know, sometimes I think it's a little, a little overrated because, uh, well, you know, I mean, that's title of my book. I'm no hero is, is because we didn't feel like heroes when we came back. Sure. And in fun, one of the, <clears throat> one of the, situations that we all went through, particularly in solitary confinement, we felt like we had failed in our mission. And I suspect that you run into that as well. Yes. There's that, this feeling of failure. Um, and, um, and to the point that, you know, some of the guys actually thought of suicide because they didn't feel like they could ever go home and face their family, their, you know, fellow, uh, warriors, uh, and admit that they uh, had failed so miserably in their mission. Um, sure. Especially the guys that you had 74 successful combat missions. And as, yeah. as Pat explained to me, he said, a successful mission is you bring the plane home. Right. It comes back. <laughs> true. That's really important. But yeah, it's pretty true. But it makes you wonder. The ones sometimes that, a carrier landing, you know, in the suit <laughs> and a pitching deck. Uh, in fact, there was a, you know, they would, uh, they would uh, attach these heart monitors to us. And, uh, and frequently, your heart was racing more on a carrier landing than it was in a dogfight. Wow. <laughs> so, oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. And he had the nickname Paddles, and it had something to do with him dragging the tail hook in the, in the water <laughs> occasionally, apparently, for fun. I don't know. I didn't understand all that. But, um, but you know, it does make you wonder if the ones that were suicidal, were they the ones who didn't have the successful missions to kind of fall back on that they got there early and, and they had not flown a lot that were successful? This was their failure. That's an interesting, um, interesting thought, and I, I don't, I don't know, I, 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 I don't know which guys really had that many missions, um, but, um, but and 
you know, I mean, and you're right. Successful didn't necessarily mean that you shot another airplane down. It just meant that you, you did your job and you came back safe, right. safely. Yes. Um, but um, <laughs> might be something we want to look at. You know, it might be. Um, but what one of my clients uh, said uh, said, in, you know, in your bio it says 74 successful combat missions. He said, now you know, now that you you've told your story 5,000 times, it seems like that 75th was more successful than the first. <laughs> I agree with you. Yes. It just took well, a little longer. Right. <laughs> well, it is, but you know, I mean, so in in, in fact, that you know, one of my mantras is adversity is a horrible thing to waste yes that you can actually find value in the challenges of life sure and so sure and you know with our police officers one of the things that we have found that kind of separates us out too from the other mental health is it usually is not like the officer involved in the shooting it's not the shooting that usually is the issue because they're trained to do that Mm -hmm. it's usually an innocent person gets hurt before they get even get the call sometimes yeah. That's the yeah. stuff that really weighs them down, and they don't even recognize it. Interesting. And so when you start to bring those things out and talking to them, then they begin to realize, because their whole job description is they're problem solvers. So like mm-hmm. you were saying, successful missions, if they don't solve all the problems, because we don't tell them they're not going to solve everybody's, everything that's a failure is their fault. Yep. And you have to identify that. And right. it's not the shooting, necessarily. Mm-hmm. That's part of the job, and they're trained to do it. We train them how to, when to, where to, why to, but we forget to tell them what happens after they do it. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part, and that's where we're trying to change things in the training. And, again, mm-hmm. that's where your video really comes in right. because your video reiterates everything we're trying to educate them on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it's coming from somebody that – they they can respect and understand at some level the magnitude of this and go wow he's gonna be, he's okay I'm gonna be okay mm-hmm. good you know I th- I think Charlie that you definitely got a lot more out of that 75th miss- mission than you did out of all the 74 combined yes <laughs> including good and bad. including a wife and four right, kids exactly good and bad and grandchildren <laughs> and four grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> And yep, I'm, that's very true. And I'm sitting here looking at you. You're telling me you're 80 years old. I'm thinking, I'm 63 and I don't look that good. Now you're making me look bad. I know. Here he is on the back of the I, book. I I can, oh, yeah, you're definitely recognizable. I don't know what you're doing, but it's working, whatever it is. And I want to do what you're doing. Well, I, got, I don't think it's fair to count the six years I was in prison. So that just makes me uh, 64. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go with that number. Absolutely. And maybe I picked up those six years. I don't know. Showing it as many times as I have. She's up there walking in that eight foot box. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, I could do his whole presentation. I, I can tell you. Could. I, I'm Absolutely. telling you. But it, it's, it's such a great presentation and it really hits home to a lot of the first responders so yes well done well congratulations done. absolutely and and no we will continue to show it over and over yes. we show it at narcotics at tack at supervise at everything and and now we get to say he's our good friend <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so we again as we wrap this up and like i said i'd love to have you in the studio if we can get you close enough we'll come get you put you up in phoenix and let me, uh, let me look at my calendar, and uh, you know, next time I'm in your area, I will do that. I really, really, truly believe in wh- who you guys are and what you do. Well, please and, uh, feel free to drop our names to anybody you know that's struggling. I don't care which war they were in. It's never too late. Exactly. You know, we, we, we certainly don't want to wait that many years normally, but it's never yep. too late. And yep. they can call us knowing that we're not going to document anything. Families mm-hmm. can call us. And uh, so, you know, as as we wrap this up and say thank you and Happy New Year to you also and pray that 23 will be your best year, especially with it being the 50th. That is so awesome. I I hadn't even thought about that, the 50th anniversary. Of coming home. That's Yes. uh, Coming home is exactly right. So for, for those of you out there listening, first responders, military, all that good stuff, and families too, remember our toll-free numbers 24-7. You'll get somebody if you call 855-889-2348, and when you hit extension 1, we do not have your phone number, 
please stay on the line. It may ring a few times because it may be rolling from one stress coach to another, but you will get someone. Uh, my extension is two. If you want to uh, talk to me directly, if I'm tied up, you will get my voicemail. Uh, David Cohen, I think, is three in Alabama. He's military, fire, fire marshal. Wife is a stress coach. She was a cop and a dispatcher. Tom's extension is four. four. And uh, my cell number is 334-324-3570. Uh, text me. Call me. I, look, my kids will tell you I have no life. <laughs> and I really don't. So give me something to do. So call me. That's what keeps you me going. You are her life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's what's going to make me win this fight I'm, right. I'm in because y'all need adult supervision. <laughs> I, there's no way I can leave here with these two still. Y'all got a lot more to learn. And uh, so, Tom, I know we've got to talk about our sponsors, too, for our upcoming first annual Chris Ferrara softball tournament here we'll be in just a few days. Yes. Here in January Tempe. 7th. Yes. And uh, so you want to tell them about our sponsors real fast? Yeah. So we uh, we were fortunate to have some very good donors this year. Yes. Um, our biggest sponsor, our platinum sponsor, Santan Ford. Um if you're in the East Valley, you've already heard their name. Uh, if you're in the West Valley, you should come to the East Valley and check out Santan Ford. Yeah, it's not a weekend trip, people. It really, I know you think you need a party bus to right. come over all 30 minutes over, but whatever, yeah. Uh, but they are first responder friendly and Absolutely. military friendly, so come check out Santan Ford. And then our, our silver uh, sponsors this year, Arizona Bank and Trust. They're a local community bank who take good care of the community. Um, we have Skaggs Police Public Safety um, Great place for, especially the police, to go get uniforms and all your equipment all, needs. All that kind of equipment that you need. There. And I love this next one. I, I got to go see these people. Listen to this name, Charlie. Quantum helicopters. Oh, no, I was thinking about the other oh, one. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, not the helicopters. This is next one. All right. Um, yeah, if you need to learn how to fly, uh, they they they'll teach you all that right out of the Chandler Airport Maybe I'll here. I'll do that. I'll take that up next. There you go. Uh, no, you won't. Do that. No, you won't. <laughs> Be crash landing. <laughs> um, so here's the one that Susan likes the name. It's uh, Click Click Bang Firearms. It's a gun oh, yeah. store. Click but Click Bang Fire. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great name for firearms. So if you need firearms during the East Valley, uh, get click, your click, guns bang. at Click Click Bang. And our last uh, silver sponsor this year was Property Rock Resources. They're uh, a landscaping service. Um, and I'm sure they go all over the valley, but they are located here in the East Valley. And let them know if you if you call these people, mention our name. Let them there know you that go. you heard them on our po that you heard about them on our podcast. There you go. And uh, so yeah, we've got some good stuff coming up in 23 here also. And uh, so we just thank all of our listeners, you know, mainly for the sacrifices that they make as first responders, military, and families. The families are the true unsung heroes, Charlie. You're absolutely right. Mm. That's a hard place to be, and we want them to know we're here to support them. We have spouses, parents, siblings. Train Joel is one. He can talk to cops' kids because he was one. And uh, so, you know, we try to make sure you're talking to the person with the most common denominator there. And uh, so we do appreciate all that they do, and we pray that 23 is going to be a much better year for our first responders. Good Lord, you're way overdue, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, so we just uh, you know, hope you'll come back and visit again. And again, Charlie, thank you. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. And we look forward to having you back again next time.